0: Hey guys, Dr. Cassie here, and thanks for joining Betfolio Voice for another special edition podcast in conjunction with NAVC's advocacy platform, Embrace. In this episode, I have the great pleasure of chatting with Congressman Kurt Schrader from Oregon about the One Health Act he proposed in Congress and what moving this bill forward could mean for our nation when faced with the spread of zoonotic diseases like coronaviruses. For those of you who may not be aware, Congressman Schrader is a veterinarian in the U.S. House of Representatives, and he proposed the One Health Act in front of Congress in 2019. Let's get into our discussion. Just a quick note to our listeners, due to this pandemic, we recorded this interview over Zoom, so please excuse the occasional connection issue. All right, Congressman Schrader, thank you so much for joining us on this special edition podcast. In addition to representing Oregon's fifth congressional district in the U.S. House of Representatives, you're also a veterinarian, um, so perfect for our audience here, and I know we're really excited to have you on and just hear your thoughts about our current uh, COVID situation.
1: Yeah, 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 I know a veterinarian, at least for my generation, it's a lifestyle, you know, not just a, a job or a career, and the uh, so I uh, look at myself as a veterinarian first, congressperson second, uh, kind of my my uh, my retirement job, if you will, uh, and, you know, as veterinarians, you're used to public service. Uh, people historically trust the veterinarian, one of the most trusted health professionals uh, in the country, uh, at least in Oregon, when people were asked, uh, who's your most trusted health professional? Uh, I think most people thought they were asking about nurses or doctors or pharmacists. And, uh, in Oregon, they said veterinarian. So. Uh, and I think we're in a good spot, frankly, with COVID to be, uh, you know, one of the, one of the more thoughtful uh, groups of people to discuss what's going on with COVID, where you know, we get better training than the MDs do in zoonotic diseases, which this is.
0: Have you seen a growing interest among your congressional colleagues about a, having public policy to address future outbreaks? Or are we still kind of in this reactionary mode with COVID happening right now?
1: This pandemic hit our shores. We had already had uh, uh, committee hearings. I'm on the Energy and Commerce Committee. This, it has you know, a pretty big portfolio, 75% of the legislation in Congress goes through that committee. And I serve on the health committee, health subcommittee in particular, because of my background and my interest in these types of issues. And uh, we've been having uh, uh, good discussions about a lot of potential problems in American health going forward. Uh, you know, frankly, as, as I think a lot of our colleagues know, uh, we are totally dependent on China and India uh, for most all the active ingredients in all our pharmaceuticals. I mean, that's astonishing. Two countries basically supply almost all the active ingredients in every single pharmaceutical uh, we employ here in the United States. That's not smart. That's dangerous. I mean, uh, even if there wasn't a lot of world tension going on, it'd be smart to have a diversified source. Uh, In case there's some problem in a manufacturing facility or, hey, there's a COVID outbreak. And all of a sudden, China wants to keep all that stuff in their country, protect their people, maybe sell it to the highest bidder. Who knows? Uh, So we've been looking at that aspect. And, you know, we're finding out with the vaccines. uh, One of the cool, exciting things we've been talking about in the Energy and Commerce Committee is setting up platforms, working with the pharmaceutical companies around the country and the manufacturers to have a platform ready to go and gear up so that when there's a need for a particular product, uh, we can gin it up right away. A lot of veterinarians are already aware there are huge drug shortages and very basic things that we've had for years, but through lack of uh, competition, uh, uh, perhaps uh, some uh, zealous uh, regulatory agencies looking into you know how the stuff is manufactured, uh, quality control issues, legitimate in some cases, You know, now it's hard to get some of these drugs. It'd be nice to have uh, an American source for these things would be geared up when physicians and veterinarians uh, and our dental colleagues note that there's a real problem. Then we could get geared up in a hurry. So we're looking to the future in this, trying to figure out, you know, how much of this can we anticipate? What sort of uh, processes, manufacturing, uh, uh, storehouse stockpiles do we need to have on hand uh, to deal with the next pandemic. So we're doing both at once, doctor. Uh, we're trying to, you know, chew bubble gum and walk at the same time and knock on wood think Congress so far is doing okay.
0: Good, good. Well, that's great to hear that, um, you know, everybody is working at it from all angles to make sure we're better prepared for things like situations like this in the future. Um, of course, one of the reasons we're here is to talk about the One Health Act. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about the One Health Act, and um, can you tell us a little bit how your background as a veterinarian, helped? did that help you see the threat of a zoonotic disease outbreak in the United States?
1: Sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that both myself and Dr. Yoho, also a veterinarian from Florida, your home state, oh yes. uh, noticed... Uh, noticed uh, along with the American Veterinary Medical Association is that uh, there's a woeful lack of veterinarians in public health service. This is an area that is ripe for veterinary input and we're seeing it uh, very much with uh, how we responded, uh, I would say somewhat inadequately to this new public health crisis. It is imperative that veterinarians that are experts in zoonotic diseases be part of that public health framework and that's what One Health does. It makes sure that uh, veterinarians, doctors, pharmacists, manufacturers, uh, uh, USDA, uh, uh, Food and Drug Administration, Environmental Protection Agency, uh, you know, uh, the Communicable Disease Center, all these agencies are actually have a One Health framework that they can operate under, share information, share knowledge so that we can be ready for, or as ready as you can be, for the next pandemic with the right equipment, the right hopeful pharmaceutical platforms to gear up in a hurry. Uh, so there's this is this is something that as a veterinarian, you see very clearly that our physician colleagues, God bless them, are, are struggling to get a handle on. So it really takes an all hands on deck approach, have that framework in place that can instill confidence that when you go meet that cruise ship or you go to that community, there's one program or one approach that has been tested and true uh, to approach this particular disease entity. That inspires confidence and, frankly, you get better results, as we all know, at the end of the day.
0: And we go back to what we all know works the best is working together as a team. You know, you specifically mentioned our training as veterinarians in zoonotic diseases, but, you know, there is different training between uh, human medical professionals and veterinary professionals. So a, a mel- bringing together of all the minds to work together just makes sense.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, uh, the, the beauty, again, I'm a little older than you, and uh, <laughs> back in the day, you were supposed to just do your work by yourself and come up with your own brilliant ideas or solve that particular problem. Well, modern education is a lot better. Uh, you work as a team, realizing that one person has only one perspective on perhaps how to treat this problem or deal with this issue. And it's so much better to have, uh, you know, different groups of people uh, from around the country, from around the world, Put their heads together like we're seeing in the efforts to get uh, COVID vaccination. Some exciting new developments here uh, on the Pfizer front, Moderna, some of the other companies. Pretty neat to see that when you work together, you can move a lot quicker and hopefully get better results. We're learning a lot of things, doctor, right now. That's really pretty exciting. One of the few upsides of this COVID epidemic.
0: Right. Yeah, we're launching things forward much faster than they probably would have gone without it.
1: Absolutely. No, absolutely. And we're looking in Congress now to keep some of these things in play. Not only uh, I mean, we've gotten attention, like uh, with the One Health Bill, uh, the Appropriations Committee, uh, which is very important because it deals with where our tax dollars go, uh, has put some language in one of their bills that talks about the One Health framework and pushing this forward is a smarter, more streamlined use of taxpayer dollars, uh, get bigger bang for the buck by coordinating care rather than working in all these different silos. So uh, uh, even if our bill is up against the deadline for the end of the year, if it doesn't pass, we can always introduce it next year. But I have some confidence that either the the ongoing budget that we do come up with, whether it's an actual uh, bill or a continuing resolution, will contain some of that One one Health framework that we've been talking about. We've, uh, we've made a difference and people are starting to listen.
0: Yes. It's so funny Um, with your answers. I want to say, get out of my head because um, your answers are going like directly to the next question I have. It's like, you know, exactly where, where, what I'm wanting to know in this interview. (laughs) Um, so my, uh, my next question was actually about the One Health bill passing. Um, we've been hearing a lot about this lame duck session of Congress. So if, if you don't mind, can you explain to our listeners what the lame duck session of Congress is and um, how that affects One Health the One Health Act's chances of passing in the coming weeks?
1: Well, it opens the door for One Health to pass again, either as a bill unto itself or as part of a larger bill. Uh, The lame duck session is uh, the session after an election and before the next Congress and president are inaugurated. So that when this case would be from, uh, you know, uh, uh, November 3rd, I forget already, November 3rd uh, to February 3rd of next year. So you got about two months where Congress gets uh, together, still meets, still does the public's business. uh, But there's a realization some members have lost, some members have won. And generally that frees up a more, uh, uh, a more open discussion. Uh, A lot of members are sometimes reluctant to vote for certain pieces of legislation because they're worried about their reelection and how it affects them. I don't think one health falls into that category, frankly, and I never look at my, uh, my public policy that way, but there are members that do. So when you're into that lame duck session, every, it's after the election, you know, your future is pretty well lined out for the, at least the next two years. Uh, if you're reelected longer, if you're not reelected, and that usually means you can pass things that have been tough to pass uh, during the rest of the uh, regular session, the previous uh, you know, 20 months or so. So hopefully uh, this gives new life to it. Certainly the rise in cases that we're seeing across the country, uh, the increased hospitalizations, that's very, very serious hospitals. Even in my state of Oregon, that I guess the fourth lowest infection rate in the country, our hospitals are getting to that point where they're concerned about being overwhelmed. So I think it's, this is an opportunity to take advantage of the crisis, right? That's what they say an opportunity for us to uh, step up and say, really need to pass this bill or at the very least get it included uh, in must pass legislation like our budget for this year.
0: Absolutely. I think there's no doubt in anyone's mind how important this is. And you've done a fantastic job of, you know, just kind of reminding us of how working together really benefits everybody. And I know our, in, our listeners are interested in doing their part to help prevent and mitigate future zoonotic outbreaks what do you recommend they do? Should they be emailing their uh, elected leaders or you know, how, how do people express their voice in these kinds of situations?
1: Well, and I'll, I'll take it one step further. As a member of Congress uh, that is a veterinarian and I've spent some time in my state legislature also uh, while still being able to practice my, in the state of Oregon Uh, It's a part-time gig, and you have to have a real-time job to support yourself and your family. So I kept my veterinary practice going. Congress you're not allowed to do that. It's the only job you have. Um, But uh, with that uh, background, I found I was surprised at how important it is for veterinarians to have a veterinarian in their state legislature or Congress. You'd be surprised at the number of well-intentioned bills that would sabotage our ability to do our job. You know a lot of veterinarians are just wanting to be veterinarians, do their thing, don't care about politics. I get that. That's why I elect folks like me and your state rep or your, you know, uh, senator. Uh, but it is important. Uh that we have had numerous bills i everyone house in the state legislature where they're going to ban the access to iodine. No one could have iodine because they're worried about it as a precursor uh to other illicit drugs. And veterinarians pointed out, well, geez, we use thiodide and other things as Uh, uh, expectorants for uh, horses and other species and stuff. And it's a precursor that we use in other products, uh, watches that we do. And if we hadn't been there to make that case, you know, we wouldn't have access to some of the products that are, we think are critical to the health and well-being of our uh, four-footed patients. Same thing in Congress here, the Drug Enforcement Agency in all its wisdom decided that uh, to get a handle on Uh, you know, opioids and narcotic drugs running loose in our our society, they were going to ban anyone from taking any narcotics out of their clinic uh, other than for a patient. Well, veterinarians pointed out, as did sports medicine folks, that, well, you know, we're on the road. I I had an ambulatory equine practice. I carried my uh, euthanasia solution, uh, my tranquilizers, all my medications, all my narcotics, that I needed for my horses out my my rig, and that was going to be banned. And if veterinarians like myself and Dr. Yoho hadn't been there to raise a stink about that, uh, DEA would have done that. Well, that would have that would have been catastrophic. Uh, so long-winded answer, but I think it's really important that you know you realize how important it is to have a voice. And we're only as strong as you guys make us. That means that means you guys should be uh, assisting us by emailing. Phoning, uh, you know, faxing—if that's what you're into—your uh, your information back to uh, the uh, back to your state rep, excuse me. Well, yeah, your state rep, your state senator, as well as your federal representative, like myself, or your federal senator. It's really, really important. There, and we pay attention. Uh, campaign emails, i.e., where you, you know, it's a it's a, a script that you just sign your name to. Not as effective, to be very honest with you. But if you're willing to draft a short little letter, you know, a paragraph uh, with sign it at the end of the day or, or do your personal email, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Then folks really, really pay attention. And uh, you know, folks like me go, wow, I'm getting all these emails from the veterinary community. I really need to look at this and ask some more questions. So your advocacy in this area by getting to your personal Senator or, or, or congressperson is is really, really important. You know, for the future of our practicing in veterinary medicine, and I'd argue with the one health bill for the future of our country and, our, and the world that is at stake without us not, you know, if we don't participate.
0: Wow, that's that's great to know that, you know, if we are writing letters and emails or uh, phone calls, whatever it is that those really are making a difference. I mean, great encouragement there to continue to advocate Um, part of what I do is small animal ambulatory. So as soon as you started talking about um, veterinarians and legislation and and the DEA and all of this, um, the Veterinary Mobility Act is what came into my mind of I wouldn't be able to do my job if if we didn't have the ability to transport those drugs drugs with us. So it just drives home how important it is to just have that representation.
1: Well, I agree. I agree. I think that was a shocker to me. Things that seem obvious to the average uh, American, uh, whether you're veterinarian or anybody else, sometimes get crazy when you get the bureaucrats involved. So it's important for us (laughs) to step in there as citizens and as elected officials to set things right.
0: Absolutely. Um, if other veterinarians wanted to get more involved in public policy making, even running for office, what are the first steps that they would take in that direction?
1: Well there are two or three different ways. One is just get involved in your community. Uh, my uh, so-called public service career started out with me just being uh, on uh, a couple of schools uh, task forces uh, worked with the Chamber of Commerce I got, Appointed, didn't have to run for office. That's the beauty of some of these things. You don't actually have to get elected. You just can get appointed and see if you like it. Uh, I got appointed to the uh, city planning commission for the little tiny community of Canby, Oregon, and found out I enjoyed it. uh, As a veterinarian, I had a knack for bringing people together and uh, distilling uh, complex ideas down so to, to basic levels where people could feel comfortable that they understood it, make intelligent choices, and that's a lot of what politics is about. Uh, you don't talk down to people, you don't talk over their head and try and make, the, make these issues understandable to them and, uh, and listen to them and their concerns. So I think veterinarians are in a good spot that way. So just get involved locally and, and move to the state legislature, perhaps like I did. In a lot of states, it is a part-time job, so you can still practice the career you love veterinary medicine. Uh and uh when you retire like I did, then Congress becomes an option also uh at that point. There are some other great ways to do it too. I mean, to get involved in public health service, uh the AVMA uh has some great fellowships. Uh uh US Department of Agriculture has some fellowships and opportunities. Uh you should contact your congressperson or your senator, and they can help give you access or at least make you aware of some of those opportunities out there, as well, the AVMA.
0: Fantastic. Uh, And what you're talking about with starting locally on a small scale, it kind of brings this terminology into the conversation of grassroots advocacy. Um, Would you mind taking a few minutes to kind of talk about grassroots advocacy, so to speak, and explain the role that the public has in advocating for policy changes in Congress?
1: Well, the public has a greater role than they think. Uh, I will tell you this election, I hope, uh, is a wake-up call to a lot of Americans that say, well, I'm not going to vote because, you know, my vote doesn't make a difference. I, you know, Why even bother? These politicians, they're all bought and sold. They're going to do this and that. I'll tell you, no, nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, this election, I'm so pleased with the turnout. Uh, it is just amazing to see this turnout. Uh, we can argue over, you know, who won, who lost, and, you know, what's right and all that. But, you know, as a as a public servant uh, i just am so excited to see americans turn out in the numbers they did it was really really exciting and i hope they all realize with the closeness of the presidential contest that their vote does matter individual votes do matter i have members of congress that are you know up or down by you know a few hundred or a th- few thousand votes uh, i ran my first state seat. legislative uh, when I was you know, full-time veterinarian, I lost my first election by 38 votes. Every vote does count. So getting involved makes a huge difference. Uh, and, and then, frankly, as I said before, when a, a member of Congress or your state legislature hears from an, a person on an individual basis or you make an appointment with, your, with you and a couple other veterinarians to meet with your state rep or your U.S. Congressperson, uh, that that meeting carries a lot of weight, uh, you know. Frankly, uh, that one-on-one uh, veterinary students. I'd make uh, a case that all the scaphema folks uh, should also get very involved. Uh, young people are much more powerful, perhaps, than some of our older people in making the case about what the future of this country should be about. So uh, there's plenty of ways to to uh, interact, and I think give great information for. Uh, members of Congress and their staffs uh, who are not experts in a lot of different things. I mean, I spent a lot of time educating my colleagues on veterinary aspects. Uh, we had a bill in front of our committee uh, a few months ago uh, that talked about access to conditional uses for major minor species, where we as veterinarians use products and drugs that, that uh, don't go through the full veterinary authorization. They're approved for human use. Uh, Gone through all the clinical trials, but not so much for veterinary medicine. But with, you know, the, we don't have a critical mass, obviously, of clients like you do in the human field to make it worthwhile for a lot of these pharmaceutical companies to do that. But through some conditional uses, we can, you know, try these medications out, show that they are popular in the veterinary community, that they do work on our patients. And then the pharmaceutical companies will spend money to get them fully authorized. If I hadn't been in committee, Make that case and help my colleagues just understand it wasn't they were against it, that just understand it. That bill would never have passed. That was a big part of our animal drug use reform bill that we put through uh, just, I think, a year ago. So, there's lots of examples again, uh, doctor, where I think it's so important that you know veterinarians uh, participate, get involved. Doesn't take much, you know, phone call come on, man. You know, an email that's pretty simple. Grief is good, you know, none of us in Congress want to read War and Peace. We're much more interested in a more succinct argument that you guys have. I think veterinarians are really good at that. Uh, I use uh, the old, I don't know if you use it anymore, doctor, but I use the SOAP methodology for oh, assessing yeah. problems and talking about it. OK, well, I, I use that in Congress, and it has stood me in good stead. So I think the veterinary community is really a unique situation for uh, understanding how to be good advocates.
0: Dr. Schrader, Congressman Schrader, this has been fantastic. I love um, just your take on all of this. I mean, we're in the middle of a, a public health crisis and economic difficulty, and you just bring this positive energy to this conversation and help all of us feel like we really do have a voice and we really can get involved. Um, so it it's just been a pleasure talking to you about all of this. Um, as, as far as talking about getting people involved and how, how we all make a difference, are there any final thoughts you'd like to share on the topic?
1: Just uh, get involved. I mean, uh, the American democracy is only as strong as the citizens uh, allow it to be. And it's not about just electing Kurt Schrader, US Congressman, and, and just going home. I need your feedback. I need, uh, that's why I spend a lot of time reaching out to folks on the phone. Prior to the pandemic, actually meeting with folks, uh, having an opportunity to get some feedback because, you know, you can get it, as we all know, you know, you view things through your own prism of, you know, who you know and your lifestyle. And it's so important to get other people's input. Uh, Again, bringing it back to veterinary medicine, Congressman Yoho and I have worked hard on the PAST Act to try and get rid of soaring in the walking horse industry. And frankly, I don't see a lot of walkers out in Oregon. I see some saddlebreds, but not a lot of walkers. And so it was really important for me to reach out to uh, different members of the American Equine Association practitioners, different veterinarians that just practiced equine medicine and has some more familiarity uh, with walking show issues. So uh, it would, you know, again, it's just so important to uh, for you guys to give us the feedback and reach out again to your congressperson your state elected officials, uh, give them that basis of knowledge so they can make better decisions for you guys. Again, this country is only as strong as the representation you guys encourage us to, to give to for, uh, for our country.
0: Well, thank you again, Congressman Trader. This has been fantastic. I've really enjoyed our conversation.
1: Well, likewise, likewise, guys. I appreciate it very, very much.
0: Thank you again for listening to this special edition podcast from Vetfolio and NAVC Embrace. And a huge thank you to Congressman Schrader for joining us in this important discussion on One Health. As a community, we need your voice to be heard so together we can make a difference. Please visit navc.com embrace to become an advocate and support the One Health Act today. And as always, visit us on vetfolio.com for all of your veterinary education needs. Stay healthy, everyone.